I never learned a piano. I took one lesson, exactly one. I never learned to swim. I took one week's worth of lessons, and still, I drink water and fish out of it. Swimming is for the fish. I never learned to paint. I never took a single lesson, and Donna won't let me in the house with a paintbrush. Boy, did that pay off. <laughs> I did make sure that my boys learned how to play the piano for many reasons. But I'll, I'll tell you honestly, one of the main reasons I was so insistent that my boys took seven and nine years. Boy, the... Okay, there we go. I'm sorry, that, then we skipped the whole intro. I made sure that the boys learned to play piano for many reasons, but chief of which was that I know from the experience of others that once you know how to play, it will bring great enjoyment to you. Once you have done the work, you can enjoy the skill. Once you have done the labor, once you have put in the time and talent and effort to develop, then... Playing piano, or I assume swimming, can be of tremendous enjoyment. Camping is like this. Camping I do know something about. I love camping in part because once you're set up, once you've done the work, you can go sit down and relax. Which is why I'm considering getting, getting a small trailer so Donna doesn't have to toil so hard while I'm at work during the week getting ready to go camping. Anybody know where I can find a small trailer? No, Hal, not like yours. In one sense, when you go camping, and, and I think this is true about playing piano and swimming as well, in one sense, you do all this work ahead of time and you get there and you rest. You get up early, you go fishing, you enjoy. And it turns out that that concept of being striving and resting and enjoying gets at the heart of part of what I think our passage is teaching today. There is a sense in which the Christian life is like camping or is like playing the piano or swimming or painting. You work, you strive, you press on. And above all, you rest and enjoy. To put it another way, if you don't enjoy it, you probably don't have it. We are going to see once again how our striving results in our resting in God. Let's turn to our passage this evening in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. Paul writes, Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Brothers, I do not... Consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything, in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have obtained. Attained. Let's begin right there at the beginning, verse 12. Paul says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on 
to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Again with the piano. You have a song, and I love listening to, to songs on the piano, but I, again, I imagine that when you're playing it, you hear it, and the song becomes your own because you are the one praying it. Even though it took effort, it took time, it took your talent to do it, but you obtained it. And you obtained that joy and that rest in it. But I have a question. What is it that Paul has not yet obtained? What is it that he wishes to make his own? Well, to do that, we need to look at the context. And yes, it's been several weeks since we were there, but we were in Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 to 11. Let's reread that context. Paul says, indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. What does Paul want to obtain? What is he willing to suffer the loss of all things in order to gain? Christ. Paul wants to gain Christ. Not eternal health, not riches or power or money or fame or anything else. Paul wants Jesus. The first thing that Paul wants to gain in Christ is God's righteousness. Not righteousness based on works. We've said this before, but when Paul uses this idea of works, what he's trying to get at is whatever means we think that we can use to impress God, those are works. You think of something and you think to yourself, oh, I can impress God if I do this. Those are works. And righteousness does not come that way. That is not how we get righteousness. Paul instead wants to gain Christ because for the first time now he can have the righteousness that God freely gives to those who trust him. The righteousness God freely gives to those who are not trying to impress him but simply believe his promises. Look with me more closely. In verse 10, we find that Paul wants to know Him. That I may know Him. That I may know the power of His resurrection. That I may share in His sufferings so that I may become like Him in His death. And then in verse 11, he wants, us, he wants to, that I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And he goes on, and what he's describing in an important sense, what he's describing can be summed up with the phrase eternal life. Now allow me a rabbit trail. I understand eternal life is not used in this passage, though, as Gene pointed out, the resurrection from the dead is. 
But as we know, the Bible often uses different phrases to describe the same reality because we need to get God's incredible, glorious reality through our thick heads. And everything in the world tries to blind us to it, so the Bible uses images to get us to understanding. And so when he's describing here about gaining Christ, the Bible also uses those same concepts to describe eternal life. So again, I have a question. When does eternal life begin? Does eternal life begin at your physical death? (laughs) Good thing that's not true. Eternal life begins the moment we gain Christ. Christ. And so we rest. We rest. For those of us who have trusted the promises of God in Christ, eternal life is ours. The most important thing in all the world is ours. Rest. Rest. Having Christ, we have this life. Having Christ, we have this abundant, new, eternal life. And the authors of Scripture run out of words trying to describe what is going on with this new power that is empowering our spirit. This power that we gain as we gain Christ that animates us towards love and good deeds that enables us for the first time to strive effectively. Because praise Jesus, eternal life begins now. Eternal life is that which enables you to live differently than you did when you were spiritually dead. Eternal life enables you to live differently now than you did when everything that you used to live for, now that you are in Christ, you count as rubbish. You count as filthy rags. And you cast it behind you. Now, you can strive. Because now, you can rest. But I want you to notice how what Paul is saying in verses 10 and 11 compares, or relates, excuse me, to verse 12. Paul recognizes that as he is right then, he has not yet obtained this eternal life. He has Christ, he has gained Christ, but he has not yet experienced all that this eternal life is. So he strives. He is not perfect, so he presses on. Why does he press on? Because he wants to make it his own. Why? Why does Paul strive and press on? So that he can rest like learning your scales. He wants to rest and he wants to enjoy what his work has done. He wants to rest. And I think he gets at this because he says, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. So strive to rest. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own, Paul can rest. Paul, or you who have trusted the promises of God, must rest. So gain Christ. 
This is the most important gain we can have. Gain Christ. This is the only thing ultimately worth striving to achieve. Gain Christ. This is the ultimate end for every human being. Gain Christ. Because only in Christ will you find the eternal life that begins now and it never ends. So that at the resurrection of the dead, you will find your eternal life already well underway. So that you can rest. So what does gain Christ mean? What does it mean to experience eternal life now? What does it mean to rest now? It is, as Paul describes here, this being found in Him. This having His righteousness by faith, not by my works. It is having this power of His resurrection at work in me. It is becoming like Him in His death. This is what Paul says in our passage. Your life is fundamentally different. Fundamentally empowered. Fundamentally founded on something different than it used to be. Now, you can rest. So continue with me in our passage. Starting in verse 12. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now let's be honest here. Let's get real with each other. Life is hard. Anybody want to say amen to that? (laughs) Life is tough. It's meant to be we're living in a fallen world. This is not our home. And every heart knows its own bitterness. So life demands striving. You will have to strive or you won't make it. You will have to press on or you won't make it. And my friends, the weight is too much. The burden is too heavy. And so as we're pressing on, we need to rest. Fortunately, Matthew 11, 28-30. Come unto Me, all ye who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly of heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus offers rest to everyone who's trying to impress God. Trying to impress God by your works Oh, they're not the same as the Pharisees. Well, of course they're not. But you try to impress God. Those are works and they get you nothing. So rest. But notice Jesus continues. He calls you to be under His yoke. To be under His burden. So press on. Note that as Jesus calls you to rest, He calls you to take off that which burdens you. That which you cannot bear. And as you begin to shed these things that you try to do to impress God all the works, He calls you to take His yoke. 
And that, I think, is where Paul picks it up in verse 14. Paul says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You know, in three different commentaries, I got three different interpretations on this verse. (laughs) So here's my take. What is this prize? What is this upward call of God? What is the goal that Paul is striving to achieve? Well, it's the upward call of God. It is, and this upward call of God is in Christ Jesus. And I think that what he's talking about is God's call in this sense is his effectual call. It is his sovereign call. It is his call that lifts you up out of the mire and gives you eternal life. It is this call that is the call for you to gain Christ. God has done the work. So rest. God has done the work. He has spoken the prize into existence, into your account. He has given you the grace of winning life. Don't have all the money you want. Don't have all the stuff you think you'd like to have. Don't have the circumstances. Oh, I wish this circumstance was there. Oh, I wish I had this relationship. All these things that we try to covet, don't have those, huh? But you've already won life. He's called it into existence. You have eternal life. You have gained Christ. Now I take verse 14 to be very important. He says, I press on. This, as we have said many times here, this is my eternally significant choice. I must choose. I must strive. I must press on. And we see here this upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This is God at work. This is God who chooses. This is God who calls. God enables you. So rest. Rest. You see a paradox here? Well, join the crowd. So have 2,000 years of Christians. But we must hold these things together. We must understand the necessity of pressing on. And we must understand the necessity of trusting in God's sovereign call for us. It's trusting the promises of God and then going and living those promises that Paul is getting at here. Perhaps Paul was thinking about Jesus' own words. In Mark chapter 8, Jesus says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Sounds an awful lot like pressing on to me. Jesus continues, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. Boy, this sounds like pressing on and then resting. The passage continues. Perhaps Paul was thinking of a story that Jesus told. Jesus had the master, Jesus, in Jesus' story, the master handed out various kinds of money. And then he comes back and he talks to the people, and the master interviews them. And to the one who uses the master's resources well, Jesus says, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. 
enter into the joy of your master. Striving, pressing on. If you don't, I chose these two parables on purpose. Because on the one hand, if you don't strive, what you get is not Jesus' approval. That's what it means not to gain Christ. That's what it means not to have eternal life. But then if, on the other hand, by God's grace, trusting in His promises, you do press on, I think what He means here is this gaining Christ is gaining His approval. Well done. Good and faithful servant. I don't need to tell most of you in this room, but that is the most important thing you can hear ever. That is what it means to gain Christ. That is what it means to gain eternal life. What does it mean to gain Christ? It means to gain His approval. It means to gain His presence. It means to gain eternal life. It means to gain Christ. And while we are striving, yet again, we must rest. Come unto me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden. Gain Christ. We all have our struggles. As I said a few moments ago, every heart knows its own bitterness. Some of you, I know your bitterness to some extent. Some of you know mine. But this is what I know. Your bitterness is known by the Lord. And He wants you to trust Him with it. He wants you to trust Him with that bitterness. That frustration. Oh God, why won't you change this? As I said this morning, your God knows you better than you do. And your God no loves you more than you do. He knows what is best. And so what He's calling us to is to depend on Him. Not necessarily to have our burdens lifted. But that as we go through these burdens, we will know Him better. We will see Him working in us and through us and for us. And because we know Him better, we'll say, Lord, I trust You more. Okay, Lord, yes, I see You working again. Yes, I see You at work in this. Lord, it still hurts. But I trust You. And as you see Him do this work, you will therefore love Him more. Oh God, I can't wait till You return. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Resting from the need to impress God with whatever it is that you want to impress Him. Resting from the need to impress God and then resting from this need to understand and need to be in control. Oh my Lord Jesus, save us. That is, I think, what he's getting at. To gain Christ. 
to gain his presence, to gain his approval. So strive. Do whatever it takes to rest in him. If you belong to Christ, then you have everything you need. God is the one who calls. He is the one who empowers. He is the one who works. And we've already saw this. We saw this a couple of months ago in Philippians 2. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, strive. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because you can rest, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You'll remember the passage as we did that a couple of months ago. I quoted John Murray. Because God works, we can work. Not in the try to impress God category, but work out what He has worked in. We must trust Him with our nows as well as our futures. Now, Paul tied this all up in verses 15 and 16. Paul says, Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have obtained, attained. Now I find two key themes that we have gone through as we're going through Philippians. I find two key themes that we have seen over and again. Humility and the resulting unity of that humility working in us. Paul says, if you are mature, he's assuming that you are. And this word is one that is, that is used that can often mean fit for competition if, in the Olympics. It, it means basically you are fit or you are ready to accomplish your intended purpose. If you are mature, then you will have this necessary understanding holding this paradox of striving and resting. Or... To use my analogy, if you are mature in this sense, you will understand that it takes the discipline of learning scales in order to make playing the piano fun. To make playing the piano enjoyable. Now, it is true in the case of Christianity, our work, nothing that we do, nothing that we do justifies us. Nothing that we do brings us to God. I don't want that misunderstanding to go out but when God does that work when God brings us into his kingdom then we can rest and we can strive and we can rest strive and we can rest and we can press on because God has called us heavenward we can strive to rest and this Paul calls us to do and this Paul believes we can right here not because his letter is so great but because he knows the God who is at work in us and Lord we call upon you to work in us praise you Jesus that you are here among us now and God as we go out as we strive I pray that you would also enable us to rest Bring your promises to our minds so that we can trust them and that so we can then 
base our lives and our decisions on them. God, be with my brothers and sisters here. Enable us to know you better and therefore love you and trust you more. In Jesus' name, amen.